Last week, we learned about uh, the major themes of the book of Acts. So what I want to do is just kind of throw those up on the screen really quickly by way of reminder, because I want us to have these in our minds as we read through the book of Acts, as you study through the book of Acts, hopefully as you read ahead in the book of Acts, because the more you have these things kind of down pat, you will see them over and over and over. So just very quickly, First major theme we're going to see, God the Father orchestrates. He is the sovereign Lord over all things. And what we will see in the book of Acts is that nothing takes place outside of his providence. Number two, uh, the risen Jesus Christ, the risen Lord rules. He's reigning uh, with all authority on heaven and earth. And today it's especially true as we witness his ascension to heaven. Uh, but you'll see kind of that's how he gets established as King of Kings and as Lord of Lords to rule and reign from heavenly places and to send forth the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. So third theme, Christ's rule is through the Holy Spirit. So when we see the Spirit at work in the book of Acts, we know that he is the one who is sent from King Jesus. And so we experience, or the apostles and the disciples and those who hear the gospel they experience the reign of King Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the fourth theme, which is the Spirit causes the Word to progress. So throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see the Word proclaimed, the Word believed, and then the Word being expanded out in various ways to various places. And the Spirit uses that Word to uh, create salvation. So fifth theme, the Word and Spirit bring salvation. You are going to see the Word and the Spirit working together every time to produce life instead of death, freedom instead of slavery, right? Uh, from those who are far off from the kingdom of God to being brought in as citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Sixth theme, those believers form the church. So the book of Acts is just the story of how God's people gather together to form the people of God known as the church. And that church has been given a mission to be witnesses. So last theme, number seven, um, the church continues to witness about the triune God to the ends of the earth. And remember, if we were here last week, you saw this is kind of a cycle, right? So what are they witnessing to? That the Lord of scripture is sovereign, that God the Father is over all things and, and his son, Jesus Christ, rules over all creation through the power of his spirit. And that proclamation, that word progresses and sinners become believers and those believers form churches who are then sent out over and over and over again. So that's the pattern of the book of Acts. I want that in our minds as we begin this morning. Last week, we, we saw those themes and we saw how Jesus is preparing his disciples to continue his work on earth. Remember, he taught them for 40 days. They would be witnesses of his resurrection and proclaim the word of God with Christ as the centerpiece. So they're going to people who have been familiar with the scriptures, maybe their whole life, this Old Testament, and the apostles have now seen Jesus is actually the main character. He's the one that the scriptures talk about. But they were told to wait for the promise of the Father, that is the Holy Spirit, who Jesus would send from on High. So Jesus on earth is not going to be the one who sends the Spirit. Jesus on high will be the one. So today we're going to see the apostles commissioned as Jesus' witnesses. We're going to see Jesus ascend to his heavenly throne. And we'll see Judas replaced with another apostle. And all of these scenes are vital for us to understand the rest of the book. So let's read and dive in together. You should be in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 6. 
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh Lord God, we come before you this morning humbled that we can gather as your people and hear from you through the Holy Scriptures. Lord, I pray that as we come to you grateful and thankful and, and uh, Lord, dependent on your mercy, we're also aware of our great need. Lord, there are a thousand different things going on in each one of our lives where circumstances that are out of our control uh, affect us in various ways. There are things at school, things at home, things with our friends, things in our own hearts and minds that if we're not careful and diligent might distract us from what your spirit has for us this morning. So I, I pray not that we would act as though those things don't exist, but we would come together as your people, broken and needy, and say, Lord, we need to hear from you. So God, I pray that in the midst of our infirmities and weaknesses and frailties, you might be strong. Teach us from your word by your spirit. Use me as you see fit to teach with clarity and with power. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So first point this morning, as we take notes, uh, number one, Jesus commissions his witnesses. What we see in verses six through eight is Jesus commissioning his witnesses to go out and share the good news that Jesus is alive, that he's risen from the dead. The disciples have come together on Mount Olivet. We'll learn that a little bit later. After 40 days of teaching and preparation, and they ask Jesus a very interesting question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And from that question, we can discern a few things. First, they've learned a lot about Jesus and his kingdom, the importance of God's people, Israel. But there is more to understand than perhaps they have yet to grasp. So Jesus responds to their question by telling them it's not for them to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Right? Remember that first theme, God the Father orchestrates all things? Here we see Jesus affirming just that. It's not for you to know what the Father has planned as far as what time things will actually happen. The kingdom of God being inaugurated on earth, being brought to earth, is going to happen according to God's plans, not according to the disciples' schemes. The disciples seem to think that Jesus is about to usher in a, to use a big word, theopolitical kingdom. That is a, a nation, a state rooted in belief in God. They think that he's about to usher that in right now, but he's actually about to leave. <laughs> he's not about to stay, he's about to go. So his answer to their question might surprise them and might surprise us. But his, his response to whether or not Jesus will restore the kingdom to Israel is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's an interesting answer to that question, right? The question, is the kingdom coming now? Jesus' answer, I'm going to empower you by the Spirit. 
And why do they need this power? Why do the disciples need the Spirit? Because they're going to be witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, before we just kind of rush past this, these are Jesus's last words recorded for us, according to Luke, right before he leaves to ascend to heaven. So we need to slow down. This commission that Jesus gives his disciples is the blueprint for the book of Acts. They're going to receive the spirit, receive power, and proclaim the word starting in Jerusalem and then expanding out to the ends of the earth. And it's not just the blueprint for the book of Acts. It's the blueprint and description for the age of the church that we live in today. Disciples went from Jerusalem and proclaimed to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. We'll see that next week when we get to Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. Then they go to Judea and Samaria, lands in conflict with one another over their lack of faith to the Lord. Apparently, Jesus believes that the gospel of his resurrection can restore what was broken, maybe not politically. It might not unite these two nations, but it can restore these two people. It can bring about an end to hostility. It can break down barriers or dividing lines or walls between this man and this man that we'll see in other letters like in Ephesians chapter 2. Where Paul says through the gospel, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down and there's now one new man in Christ. Jesus is saying this right now at the very beginning. Finally, there are to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Israel may be where proclamation begins, but it's not just for Israel. And this is where I think the disciples may have it a little confused. They think that this nation called Israel, this people of God chosen by him to receive the covenants and the promises is going to be the, the perimeter around which or in which God's promises are going to be fulfilled. But Jesus's vision is much, much, much bigger than that. And I think that both Jesus and Luke have Isaiah in mind. And again, this is it's helpful for us to understand, why do I need to read the Old Testament? Well, as the disciples learned last week, Jesus is the main character. But for us, if, if we don't know our Old Testament, we won't see the rich truth that we'll find in the New Testament when the apostles and the disciples speak. So I'm going to put a couple of texts on the screen. So just think through with me on this. In Isaiah 32, the prophet Isaiah says that these things that are going to be promised won't happen until, verse 15, the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. So the, the prophecy here is there is a barren land and when the Spirit is poured out on high, it will move from a barren wilderness of death to a forest filled with life. That imagery should be very clear for us to understand what's being said. There are those in our world who are dead in their trespasses and sin, who live in a world that is broken and full of death. But when the Spirit is poured out from on high, the result of that power is life. So that's Isaiah 32, 15. A couple of chapters later in Isaiah 43, this is what uh, Jesus, or this is what the Lord says. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen 
that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Now, if we know that Jesus is the main character of Scripture, we know who we're talking about here. Who is our Savior? It's none other than Jesus Christ. And what the prophet Isaiah is saying by the power of the Spirit who inspired him is that we're going to be witnesses of that Savior. That when that power from on high comes, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to proclaim is that we are witnesses to the Lord who saves us. One more text, Isaiah 49. He says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. This was the thought of the disciples. But look what Isaiah says. He keeps going. The the word of the Lord says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you not hear the language of Acts 1 verse 8 in these passages? Jesus is almost echoing or alluding to, hey, you know the prophet Isaiah. You know the promises that were made through him. And now you are going to be the fulfillment of that. I'm going to send the spirit from on high. You will be my witnesses and salvation will go to the ends of the earth. So let's feel this commission together as God's people, as the church we carry on this commission to make disciples of all nations. We go in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the good news of the kingdom to all who would hear, whether it's across the street or across our classroom or across an ocean. And we're going, trusting the Father's timing in all things. It's not for us to know the times and the seasons. It's not for us to know when a a harvest will be reaped. It's not for us to know whether or not there might be a great response through our faithfulness, because we're not called to produce results. We're called and commissioned, just like these apostles, to be faithful witnesses of a resurrection, a resurrection that you and I now get to experience by faith. So as the apostles have been commissioned by Jesus, so too have we. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So as Jesus gives his commission, the very next thing he does is takes his throne. So second point, For this morning, Jesus takes his throne. The scene begins the pivot point of the New Testament. Jesus, who has lived a perfect life, died on the cross and risen from the grave, now ascends 
into the heavens. He is lifted up and a cloud takes him away. Now this scene warrants a little bit of biblical exploration, right? What does the ascension of Jesus show us or remind us of? Well, first I think it reminds us of the one who was promised to come before the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. So I'm going to put that on the screen. And you just remember the ascension. Remember the scene of what the disciples saw, that Jesus is lifted up into heaven and taken by a cloud. But look at what Daniel saw. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom... that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So think of it like two cameras looking at the same scene in a movie. In Acts chapter 1, you've got a camera on the ground, and they're watching Jesus ascend to heaven to be lifted up and wrapped in a cloud. And in Daniel chapter 7, we have another camera in heaven, where we see this son of man push through the clouds to come before the ancient of days and to finally actually receive this kingdom that will never end, that he will rule and reign over forever and ever. Jesus is the son of man who was promised. What was promised and prophesied hundreds of years is being fulfilled before the eyes of the apostles. So when we think about the work of Christ... We often think of things like his incarnation, right? That the son of God would put on flesh and dwell among his people. We think about his sinless life, that he was the the true and better Adam who was obedient when when Adam was was disobedient. We think about Jesus' cross, that he died for sinners. He atoned for their sin. We think about his resurrection from the dead, this proof that he has conquered death, sin, and the grave. But his ascension is a necessary part of that work because it exalts him to be where he is right now and where he continues his work right now. Right now, Jesus rules and reigns over his creation with all authority. So if you want a fancy uh, Christian doctrine word for it, we call this the session of Jesus, Jesus's session. So it's kind of like when the judge in a courtroom walks in and the bailiff says court is now in session, right? That's when the, when the one who has authority sits on the seat. Jesus now sits on his throne and his session is now. So he's ruling and reigning. He is our king seated on the throne. But second, Jesus is also our prophet. Remember, he's about to send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who will indwell and empower his people to proclaim his word. But remember, that spirit has to come from on high. So Jesus has to be in heaven to give it. He has to be seated on the throne to send that spirit. And third, not only is he our king ruling from the throne, not only is he our great prophet sending his spirit, but third, Jesus is our great high priest. He sits down at the right hand of the father, having sacrificed for sin once and for all. And now he lives to make intercession for us. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but there's a human of Middle Eastern descent named Jesus who is alive 
right now who is somewhere in creation praying for you. Like that's not like a, like a fantasy that's like out of our grasp. We, we know what it's like for a person to pray for someone else. We know what that's like for you to pray for your friend or for your parents to pray for you. There's a person named Jesus who really does exist, who really is alive and is interceding before the Father on your behalf right now. I mean, this is, this is the good news of the gospel, that, that we have a king who has given us his very spirit, who also now lives to make intercession for us. In short, Jesus' ascension proves that he is the son of God, that he is the son of man, and that he is the true king, the true prophet, and the high priest of scripture. And the disciples are dumbstruck. I mean, they're just like staring off into the heavens. Like, what just happened? Although it's good that their eyes are heavenward and looking towards Christ, their commission begins not at Mount Olivet, but in Jerusalem. So two men, most likely angels, encourage them to trust that Jesus will return just the way that he left. They don't have to wait for him right here. <laughs> They can keep on and move on with the commission that they've received. Think of the clouds uh, that, that Jesus was wrapped up in as he left. Clouds were often signs of God's immediate presence. So you can think of the clouds on Mount Sinai with Moses, or the cloud that led the Israelites in the wilderness, or the cloud of glory that filled the temple in the Old Testament. The angels encouraged them to go. And from verses 12 through 14, we have this list that is obvious, but is easy to miss. And that is, there's only 11 apostles now. And one of them is gone. One of them has betrayed Jesus and has fallen away. But the ones who remain are together with Mary and the other men and women in one accord, united, praying. They were told to wait for the Spirit. And so they wait and they pray. This is, this is, I think, really helpful for us to see that when you read the Gospels, the disciples are not always like the most faithful. They're not always the most quickly obedient. They're not always the most who are like, yes, Jesus, you said that, and that's exactly what I'll do. Often they're like, wait, you want me to do what now? You want me to say what to him? You want me to try to feed people with this many fish? Like, they're, they're like kind of constantly in the Gospels pushing back on Jesus, their leader's authority and commands. But now that he's ascended and reigned from heaven, the first thing we see them do is quickly obey. And for the rest of the book of Acts, that's going to be their consistent practice. That those who are followers of King Jesus are obedient to his commands. So let's read our last section and try to land the plane. Look at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle 
and all his bowels gushed out. And they became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So Jesus commissions his apostles and disciples. He uh, takes his throne. Third and final point today, Jesus chooses another apostle. Be very clear, Jesus is the one who chooses his apostles. Peter rises to lead and shows that scripture had to be fulfilled by Judas's betrayal. In other words, there might have been thought among the disciples when they look at Judas and his betrayal, his treason against Jesus, did Jesus make a wrong decision? Was Jesus wrong in calling Judas to be a disciple? And the answer is no. Scripture must be fulfilled. Peter says something amazing in verse 16. Look at there with me. He says that the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Could you catch that, that timeline there? The Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. This is incredible for two main reasons. First, it clearly affirms that the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks Scripture. He inspires the Word of God. This book that we have in front of us is none other than the Word of God inspired by the Spirit of God Himself. But second, it shows us that the Spirit was inspiring Scripture not merely for the sake of those in the moment of its writing, but for those who would read it in light of Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul says this in Romans 15. It'll be on the screen. He says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I think we all believe this, but it's worth saying and it's worth you hearing. This book from Genesis to Revelation is a Christian book. It is a Christian book. We love our Jewish neighbors, but Genesis to Malachi is not a Jewish book and Matthew to Revelation is a Christian book and we try to make these things fit together. The whole thing is a Christian book. God in Christ is the centerpiece of the whole story. The Bible is the revelation of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, now Luke shifts from this to give an editorial about Judas. He was utterly destroyed. He, he, the, 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 if you check the Gospels and then check this story in the book of Acts, he killed himself. His end was total destruction, and his place is known now as the field of blood. As the Psalms Peter quotes shows us, his end, his end result was utter desolation. So this ought to be a real warning to those who would live their lives in a way that opposes Christ and his kingdom and seeks to make a kingdom of their own. There are only two ways to live. You can live a blessed life under the word and instruction of God, or you can live a wicked life that is cursed and ends in judgment. There is no in-between. So the men of the church, the men, the men who are in the upper room, call forth two other men who were disciples of Christ's ministry to become a replacement. One of them was going to be a witness to his resurrection. Again, this is the commission that Jesus gave his apostles. But notice how they chose. They prayed. They called on the Lord Jesus to choose, just as he chose the apostles originally. And then they cast lots. Now, lots were most likely something like dice. So they, they prayed. They said, Jesus, you choose. And they rolled the dice. And before you think, I'm going to start making all of my decisions like that. That is not what this text is telling us, right? One of the big things we need to know when we read and study the Bible is the, is the difference between description and prescription, right? So description is just, it's describing what happens. Prescription is you ought to do this, right? So when it says that Solomon had 700 wives and 400 concubines and many other women, that's not a prescription. That's just describing how things were, right? We don't read that and go, man, I got to start getting to work because like 700 wives, it's like, if I even did like one, like try to get married once a week, that's like a long time. No, no, that's not, that's not what's going on at all. And in the same way, the scripture isn't prescribing to us that we ought to throw dice in order to make big decisions. This choosing of a 12th apostle is a unique event in history. And they probably had something like Proverbs 16.33 in mind, which says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. But the principle is good for us to get. Jesus chose. Jesus rules. He reigns over the apostles and he reigns over us. Jesus chose his apostles and he's chosen us as his church to continue to be witnesses of his resurrection. So as we prepare for Pentecost next week, we must remember that Jesus has both called and commissioned us as his witnesses and his authority is supreme. But in order to obey his authority, we are in desperate need of his Holy Spirit. And that's where the text leaves us today. Next week, the Spirit will come.